As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. On today's episode, I'm seated with Martin Cothran, Dr. Lita Sundet, and Tom Charlton. Lita, thanks for being here with us to record a couple episodes. It's, it's going to be great, the second one. Thanks for having me. The first me. one was great, too. Today, we're going to be talking about Pride and Prejudice. Martin, <laughs> can you tell me about your relationship to this novel? Um, it's a new relationship. Oh, uh, as I was, I was explaining uh, in uh, between shows here that uh, I, I thought I had read it, and it was probably because I've seen two or three movies uh, of it. And then when I, when I picked it, you know, I, I have an old uh, paperback, and and so I. I went out and I bought a nice copy. In fact, I ended up buying two nice copies, different different editions. Because you had forgot the first time? No, no, no. Or, well, you know what I've been doing is every time I go and I reread a book that's a real kind of a classic, but I try, I try to find a really nice hardback edition. You of should it. have bought mm-hmm. the Chiltern ones. The ch- I, um, well, I have the Chiltern. Um, uh, Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. But, but I, Austin's I saw, in Chiltern I also. I Wood, was it Wood, Wood, not Woodbridge, I bet. Uh, for the hold up for the camera if you can see it uh it's it's i'll I'll look at it i'll I'll look at it in a minute but really nice copy um so where was i going with that um your relationship (laughs) my my relationship uh so so reading it again i realized i had i had uh i had not read it i had not read the book there's just you know there's there's subtleties and particularly in a book like this where where so much of it is psychological Mm. you can't you can dramatize that to a certain extent, but if a, a camera can't get inside somebody's head. Right. And so that's where most of this book takes place. And I, I thought this was a, a great romance. I mean, I, I love a good romance mm. and, and this is uh this is, I think the best ever. There's so many, so many neat little twists in the relationship and you think it's going to resolve. And cause I'm thinking, you know, cause in, in a, in a, in a romance story, <laughs> Uh, you cannot, you cannot, you have to, you cannot resolve things early. You, they have to be resolved then very it would be late. Over. Well, <laughs> right. So, so early in the story, she's, she's realizes she, is, is it, she, she, is it, she, th- there's some or early, too early in the story. I thought at first she, she, she has, she, she feels like she's in yeah, love with him, but then Wait. all these other things happen. What is it? Wickham. Yes, yeah, she's, she's well, not. I know, but there's no. I'm, I'm, no, I'm but sorry. he I, starts I think admiring her. Is it he start? Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It is. It is he who who starts admiring her very early, and I'm thinking, no, this is way too early. You, you gotta. You, this is too early. You gotta. You gotta oh, let Darcy's this be. You gotta work Darcy and, to her. Yes, right. yes. To but the way that it was early. handled, it was it's it was more perfect because of all the things that happen afterwards that that bring this about. And then, yeah. then of course, you know, she's got somewhere you're not sure whether he still loves her. Because you're kind of with mm. her, you know, and she's not sure. And you bring I, I enjoyed it. An interesting point about the adaptation is that with a novel like this, where the the actual dialogue is so clever mm-hmm. that the screenplay oh, kind yes. of writes itself, but oh, then yes. you lose the non-dialogue because the dialogue you don't have to do that much to bring out the story. Just um, let Austin mm-hmm. tell her own right. story, mm-hmm. right? So I taught this book twice to high schoolers. 
Um, Did you? Yeah, two years in a row. And uh, yeah, it's college school. Okay, good. um, Enjoyed it. It was always the last book of the semester that we finished. And we'd basically spend almost the entire spring reading it because it's lengthier than the other selections in the year. Um, And it was always, you know, the personal challenge kind of harkening back to our last episode for me to help the the young lads in that class <laughs> to identify with Elizabeth Bennett and to understand the story, what its power is for all people, not just the girls who liked the dances and such. Now, was that successful? Uh, maybe 30%, which in baseball is good. That's, <laughs> that's not bad. Because I, I really think that it, particularly for a male, you, you have to have lived a while mm. to be able to really appreciate this novel Mm. my theory Mm. Lita what's your relationship to the novel Pride and Prejudice uh well I I agree with Martin that it's just a it's a wonderful love story and it's Mm. amazing how um just about uh, so much romantic fiction downstream from this novel Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. obviously Mm -hmm. inspired by this novel like the antagonistic I guess Shakespeare is the first Yes. To do this, the antagonistic um, romantic relationship. Yes. With, and then she perfects it. But yeah, I think she really, does, she really does perfect it. Um, and I, I love, um, I love the way that this novel investigates kind of the process of, of judgment mm-hmm. of, um, of, of interpreting your world and the, the people around you and how complicated that actually is mm. and all of the the challenges and impediments to doing that well and how it um you know you were mentioning the the narrative the narrative voice how that get, that gets lost in the um in the adaptations but the way that the narrative voice in this novel really encourages us to kind of participate in Elizabeth's experience mm. and therefore kind of entangles us in some of her delusions and sure. um, misconceptions, um, which creates a, a really interesting kind of challenging experience for the reader too. Mm. Um, yeah, because yeah. A, a romance novel has to, has to make you want this relationship to happen really badly. And, and it seems like the, the, the great tension in a in a good romance is the distance between where they are and what you really want to happen. And as it approaches that, that's that's the whole allure. And Austin does such a good job of maturing her characters. Mm-hmm, yes. So Elizabeth and Darcy both have to come a long way mm-hmm. in order to meet. And I think that is perfectly done. Yes. His <coughs> changing basically his whole demeanor for her mm-hmm. and recognizing her judgment of of him instead of turning his back on it but recognizing that that he could be a better person than he is solely for her i mean it's just the it is the idealistic romance that yeah. we, that each character would would change in order to please the other but in good things that should have changed in their lives anyway mm-hmm. Well, she seems to me to be fully human, even at the beginning of the book, and he's not. And she humanizes him. Yes. In in a way. And that's seems like that's really half the story. But does she all oh sorry. 
Well, what's your relationship to the novel more broadly? And then we're going to jump into some of the themes. Um, well, I love it. <laughs> when did you read it first? I read it first probably as a teenager, mm. again in college, again as a young adult, and um, maybe again after that. This is probably my fifth or sixth time reading it because it really is my favorite novel just out of just the sheer joy of it. Mm. I just enjoy it. It entertains me. It, um, I feel like it elevates me. I am reading it more carefully now than I've ever read it before. Mm-hmm. And I'm still enjoying, you know, even dissecting it, I'm enjoying it, I think, even more. Yeah. It hasn't, I, when I started it this time, I thought, I wonder now at this point in my life, is it still going to, touch me in the way mm. that it always has that it did as a teenager and it it does maybe more yeah i want to dive more deeply into this novel but before we do let's take a quick break on your mark get set go live classical etc is hitting the road and going live at the great homeschool convention in cincinnati ohio this coming april we'll be there with the rest of the memoria press team to meet with you answer your questions and come together at this table for a live taping of Classical Etc. Join us in Cincinnati April 13th through 15th at the Great Homeschool Convention. Follow the link in the description to learn more. Hope to see you there. Um, Lita, I think anyone who reads Pride and Prejudice with an open mind will agree that it's a great read. But do you think that this is an important book as well and not just entertaining? Yes. <laughs> I wonder if that's a... A loaded question. <laughs> a loaded question. A false those. distinction. Yeah. I don't know. What does it mean for something to be important? How do you, how do you even, how do you know? Mm. Wow, we're like, going to get very existential yeah, on this podcast I, <laughs> this morning. <laughs> Mar- important what for what? Yeah. Do you think it's important or just entertaining? Yeah. Or is I that think too false of a distinction? I think it's, uh, and again, I think Jane... Air would rival it in terms of a romance. That's a very strange romance. What happens in Jane Air? But, um, but I, you know, reading this book at this particular time in our cultural history, I wondered that this is so alien to our culture right now. The the these cultural assumptions that this book has, um, the station the stations in life of men and, and women, there's, there's a, I, I, there's going to be a lot of people who would have problems with this book now, but there's, there is this cultural structure that underlies the story and, and all of Jane Austen's stories, all of Bronte's stories. Um, and I was interested, uh, there's a lot of dancing, a lot of dances <laughs> going on. That's right. And what is it? What is a dance? A dance is this, formal structure uh, that is used to relate especially to the opposite sex. It, it, is, it is a formal way to, and, and we don't have this anymore, it's a, it's a formalized way of, of meeting somebody of the opposite sex in a way where there's, there's appropriate touching, there is, you know, it, it's very, very structured. And I, I, just, I just, what struck me in this novel was, there's a there's a physical dance going the physical dance is going on throughout the book, but the whole 
way that relationships are conducted are their own dance. They, they are formalized in the same way a physical dance is. And I, I really lament the fact that we have lost all that. Mm. We don't, there is no, there's no dance, formalized dance anymore physically. And there's no formalized dance culturally anymore. We've lost that whole structure. And I think it's created a cultural mess. And I, you know, I'm, I don't know if I was supposed to comment comment sociologically on this, but I, that, 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 I was thinking about that when I was reading this book. But do you think that this novel makes that dance attractive in a way it, that would be compelling even to a modern Yeah, and that's, that's, that's why, I mean, there's lots of, of reasons to read older literature. And I think that's certainly one of them is so that people can see uh, in, in, in a... Let me bring something else in here. I, 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 I thought this immediately upon reading Jane Eyre. I thought any, any culture that could, could produce a book like this, any civilization that could, could produce a book like this is a great civilization by definition. Okay. And I thought the same thing when, when I wrote, th- th- this is speaking from a civilization in, in a civilization in a sense that we don't have anymore and that we really need. And so I, I would hope you know, this this is a kind of book that 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 young people need to read now, so that they can understand what a civilization looks like, because it's it's that's what's in here. Well, it seems like your question is kind of implicitly stating that there's some importance in the enjoyment, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, and I, I can I can give a less snarky answer to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please be snarky, to Martin. <laughs> um, yes, but I I think that's a great. Yeah, that that it um, that enjoyment of the you know Tanya was saying that genuine joy um, that this is just a joyful novel mm. um, that that experience in and of itself is important is is humanizing is mm. is civilizing. Mm. Um, I was also thinking though about yeah so that issue of of judgment how to how mm. to judge rightly is I think an enormous concern of of our time. Um, there's a lot of anxiety about um, about truth, <laughs> the existence of truth, how to access it. Um, and I think this really is a, a case study in in wrong judgment getting corrected. Um, and and particular particularly that insight into how our um, how what we would uh what we would like to be true um what we would what we would like to be the case influences what we see mm. and what we perceive um elizabeth what you know she discovers she wants she wants mr darcy to be a bad guy because mm. he insulted her right. and that that causes her to see him to interpret everything through this lens and uh, when that gets ex- exploded she's She's just kind of destabilized. Right. You know, I, I don't know that I'm interpreting anything correctly. And the reader gets to participate in that too. And I think that um, that important, de- you know, another, another trendy word, but important destabilization of um, just creating self-doubt um, in the reader and a sense of, yeah, how much, how much does what I want influence what I see mm-hmm. is such an important self-doubt for modern people to have. Sure. 
Now, Tanya, if I were to guess what you find important about Pride and Prejudice, it's that this book teaches young women how to marry rich. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, because I certainly did that. <laughs> I, For me, this book is about the characters, and they are so well-drawn, and they are so universal. I, you could take her characters mm. and plop them down anywhere in literature, in any society, and they would still be the same people that they are, with the same flaws, with the same need for growth, watching the growth, their relationships with each other, their relationships with their community, with other people. I just think it is the most universal mm. characters, and they are so, they are drawn so consistently. Every one of them, even the minor characters, mm. are so consistent. There's nothing, you know, where you say, would that person really do that? Mm. I just don't, I don't see it. How, I just do, you, think how, do, you, it how do you create a character that's utterly unique? And yet totally universal. I know. That seems to I, be the mm. I think that's what she's done yeah, somehow. Yeah. I think you have to have a muse. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And even the ridiculous characters. Yeah. You, you kind of. You're like, uh, Mr. Yeah. Collins, so I'm a little embarrassed yes. about some uh, of the things I've said before. But yeah. don't that you love him? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The way that she can, uh, she can, you know, generate your affection for the ridiculous mm. is something that I'm. I sort of delight in, in Austin that she's, yeah, she's constantly kind of poking at these, these characters who are, and, and exposing their ridiculousness, but it's not mean spirited Mm. somehow. Well, it's, it's, it's comic. She, in, in, uh, she's not doing what, quite what Dickens does, but, because, uh, because you know, it seems to me underneath everything Dickens does is, is this heart of laughter. Yeah. You know, whereas she is not quite doing that, but but she doesn't hate her characters, and there's no hate. Well, what about it, Wickham? Is she at all sympathetic toward Wickham as a character? We didn't talk about this yesterday. Mm. It, what about Wickham? What do we do with him? Mm. Is well, she sympathetic she, she, she to him at all? You know, she presents him. But in a way, she doesn't. In a way, she doesn't judge him. She just she just shows him for what he is, and she doesn't she doesn't drive it any further. She just does enough to where you kind of see who this guy. She's a little bit merciful, I thought, with Wickham. I think another way to see Wickham is the exact antithesis of your other major characters, which are yeah. Wickham is an inch deep and a mile wide, whereas mm-hmm. the rest are mm-hmm. substantive persons. Mm-hmm. And that's what you explore through the rest Except of the novel. Except for possibly Mrs. Bennett. Well, and and another Lydia. example like Wickham, who at first appears as just a doting mother, maybe, you know, she's a little annoying, but you're like, maybe endearing. And then as you go forward, you're like, maybe actually there's, there's a character issue here. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lita, just a moment ago, Martin mentioned that this novel is the product of a culture of a fully formed culture. There's some debate about how much Austin is critiquing that culture in Pride Mm. and Prejudice. What do you think of Mm. Austin's relationship to her culture? Do you think she's critiquing it, working within it, or have you thought about the relationship between her and the the system that she was writing in? Yeah, that's interesting. We were just talking about this yesterday that, um, and I think I agree with, with Tanya about that that universality mm-hmm. that it she she really is like Shakespeare in that it feels like you could pick up this the characters in the scenario and adapt them 
to just about any time period. You'd have to change some details, but um, it's not, her novels aren't placed in the way that say Dickens are. You mm-hmm. can't, you can't lift Dickens. They have to be in, mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in that dirty s- London. That's not true. <laughs> um, so I, they are social commentary. Um, she is she is critiquing, you know, Darcy's intense class consciousness, mm. um, and Elizabeth's kind of um, what is it snobbery, but like, inverse snobbery. What's that called? I think that's uh, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, th- you know, she is she is exploring sort of the plight of of a woman, you know, Charlotte Lucas, the plight of a woman who's, um, you know, is financially dependent on her family and has to figure out how she's going to survive. But it seems that she's not, um, she's not, she doesn't have an, a, a, a social agenda she, or a political agenda. She's not really suggesting solutions to those things, except as they, as those solutions might emerge from um, yeah, character growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what's what's underneath Darcy's class consciousness? Well, it's a the deeper issue is is pride, mm-hmm. which is a which is a universal human problem. So it seems that she's more interested in those universals mm-hmm. and how they manifest themselves than in the particular societal situation. Yeah, I would yeah. argue that there's very little social commentary in here at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think she's I think her all of her critiques are personal. It's, mm. it's, it, it's this critique of a person and whether they're a good human being that uh, that's in there. But she seems to me to take, take as given the, the social circumstances. She doesn't mm. seem to judge them or critique them. She operates within them much like, again, I think Henry James does. Um, whereas if you want a socially conscious Jane Austen, go read George Eliot. Mm. Uh, she's very much a reformist, I think. And so is Dickens. Uh, Dickens is very reformist. They're they're critiquing their culture, but you know it's it it's nice it's nice uh, to have a novelist who doesn't do that and who just operates within and just shows you what happens. He's not he's not judging the culture. I'm you, going to are you I'm going to somewhat it? disagree. I do think there's social commentary in here, and I think that it's driven by Austin's position in society. And I I do think there is social commentary on the plight of women. I think Charlotte Lucas is the perfect example of that, of a woman who has to make concessions in order to survive. And I can't believe that Austin is not making that point just based on her own life. I don't know. What do you think? I I agree with you, Tanya, and think that the reason it's difficult is because it's deeply laden in humorous, great storytelling. I think that it's all done with a wink and a nod and that the entire uh, commentary that she's making is one that Elizabeth Bennett is kind of uh, amused by in some ways, but then also it's the source of all of her trouble, her family's financial struggles, right. her need, to, you know, the want of a, a, a man with good fortune is, you know, is a wife. And, and that situation is the crux of her issue that she doesn't want to have anything to do with, unlike her mother. Right. And I don't totally disagree with you. I don't think this book is about social commentary. I mm-hmm. do think Dickens writes his mm-hmm. books about literally to, as a, um, as a kind of a zealot for social reform. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't think Dickens is doing that. I'm not totally disagreeing, but I do think there is some social commentary here. Well, to me, it seems like, uh, I mean, if you were to ask Jane Austen, is is this really the best setup for a society where X, Y, and Z happens? I, I, I can guess what her answers might be, but I don't think there's a critique in here. Um, I do think she just shows you well, this is the, right, this maybe is, you know life's unfair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I think that may that may be her response. Right. Life is just unfair, and and uh, like it's but, a passive, right? Yeah, yeah, very critique. passive. There. There's no active critique, mm-hmm. is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, Lita, it seems like what you're saying is that <clears throat> the fundamental equation of every rom com is girl, bow that seems attractive. Bow that doesn't seem as that is attractive, but does that seems like they're mean or or not the right fit, and that ends up being the and and the story is how that second, you know, less optimal choice ends up being the choice. And right. That's every story since Pride yep. Prejudice that's romantic the, comedy. There's the flattering choice. The, that's right. You know, that uh, make the the person who makes you feel really good about yourself, yes. and you're not going to have to change it all for them. That that seems right, and then the person who makes it some sort of demand on you mm-hmm. um, and that you're therefore very resistant to. Um, and also but, the third, you know, ridiculous choice that, that nobody wants, but that's just comedic relief. Yes. Um, so is that Joe in You've Got Mail? I forget. Um, but they, you know, you always have all three of these kinds of characters. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's very Shakespearean too, that um, we're going to have like kind of three different relationships. One's absolutely ridiculous and isn't going to last six months. Right. One is really sweet. But there's not a lot of tension or energy there. Mm. And then there's the one that is actually like on fire. Yeah. And it's Austin does and that too. I can testify that most Hallmark uh, comedies are, are this way. Um, yeah, they, there is there is that. It, I mean, it, you see that in here because she's – this whole book is really uh, her, Elizabeth, discovering who Darcy really is. <laughs> that That's what a lot of this is about because – yeah, he's got his problems and all that, but really she finds out that underneath all that is a really good person. And she, she, you know, she's collects evidence throughout most of the story that that is in fact the case after she refuses him for the first time. Um, that's, that's a, that's a common plot line, hmm. even in Hallmark movies that, that uh, is discovering who this other person really is and finding out that they are lovable. Hmm. And discovering them. You know, I think Darcy discovers himself and that he hmm. can indeed. Yes. And he just, he just um, yeah, he discovers himself more, more, more fully through her understanding of him. I think right. That's exactly right. And her judgment of him. Yeah. I mean, what is that? Uh, you are who you think, think other people think you are <laughs> what are you quoting is this from your freud book <laughs> this, I, think I just just came up with that myself uh, no i mean you 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 how you think other people see you fundamentally affects how you see yourself and i mm-hmm. and i i think maybe that happens with darcy mm-hmm. um and so Tony, you talked about how <clears throat> this novel in some ways is kind of idealistic. What did you mean by that in terms of Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth? How is it kind of an ideal romance versus some of the other you know romances that you might read? The Just the growth that they have toward each other and, and how they have bettered each other. And so you think in a marriage, then they're going to continue to better each other, that they are truly going to be as one, mm. 
as they grow toward that. And that is the ideal marriage, right? right? That we would all want is that we see at the end of this novel, we anticipate that they're going to have a beautiful marriage because they are each still individual people, but they are also capable of growth. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, I do think it's the ideal. Now, we haven't talked about Jane and Bingley. Mm. So are they going to have that same kind of strong marriage? Probably because Jane is going to be, they're both, I guess they're both um, so careful of not offending anybody and of, it's going to be different, but it's not, I don't know that I would say theirs would be the ideal. To me, Elizabeth and Darcy is the ideal. And I don't know how much growth are we going to see with Jane and Bingley. Right there, If the conflict of the novel for Elizabeth and Darcy is the removal of internal obstacles, for Jane and Bingley, it's the removal of external obstacles. It's Mr. Darcy getting out of the way. Mm. And it's and it's Jane being able to be with him. And so it's maybe you don't see as much growth. Is that kind of what you're saying? Right. I don't know that they are, well, they don't, maybe they don't need as much growth. But well, that's, see, that's what I, I think. feel you, like they're you, simpler people. Yeah, you keep saying, using the term growth, because it seems like in that case, the only thing that's preventing them from getting together are, are completely extrinsic things. Mm. Intrinsically, they could, they could have been together at the beginning of the story and they would have been fine. Whereas... To me, Elizabeth is is uh, needs no growth. She's fully grown from the beginning of this story, and Elizabeth? Darcy's not. Yes, and Darcy <laughs> is not yet. And so he seems like to me he grows throughout the story because of her, attracted by her, um, and. There's a, there's there's relationship growth, but in terms of the individual persons, I think Elizabeth's fully grown. I'm so, going to have to disagree again. So Lita, I, I you take, she, she you take him a, on this time. This, <laughs> this leads to the question I was going to ask you, Lita, and that is the twin themes of pride and prejudice. Pride, I think, is easy for my students to see, and you, you see that in Darcy, but how does that uh, theme of prejudice operate in the novel? Do you think it relates to some of what Martin was talking about with well, Elizabeth? Well, because I was wondering, I was going to ask about the title here, because mm-hmm. it seems to me like because I'm thinking one way you could see it is pride is a reference to Darcy and prejudice is a reference to her because she's, she's prejudiced. She's, I said that yesterday, is, but Lita disagrees. Oh, oh, well, I mean, I think that's true. Yeah. But she thinks it's more. But oh. I think there's also, because that the, the, the dichotomy of the title would suggest sort of a dichotomy mm-hmm. in, the, in the novel as well. But I think they both have a problem with both. Mm. Um, and those those two things are related to each other. Why is... Why is Elizabeth prejudiced against Darcy? I mean, I think that's her mm-hmm. sort of self-discovery is I, I mean, I think like I was saying earlier, I wanted him, I mean, what is prejudice, but kind of deciding in advance the way that a person is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she couldn't and, see beyond and that. And that not being able to, to, yeah, see, to see around that. Um, and we as readers get entangled in, in her Prejudice. I think we. I think that's one of the one of the things about rereading this novel is is rereading some of those early scenes and realizing I'm I am seeing Darcy through Elizabeth's eyes. I'm getting such a negative impression mm. of this guy, but it's because I'm I'm interpreting it through her. Yeah, through right, these right. these um, situations. 
So um, I, I think she she kind of identifies in herself that problem. But why? Where does that prejudice come from? Why does did she decide he was a certain way? Well, it's because he hurt her pride at the mm. beginning of the novel. So how, how, how? by uh, by insulting insulting her in the yeah. ballroom, saying she's not. She's not pretty she's enough to dance with. She's right. But didn't no. did I? I wondered though too because of the uh, the entirely too early proposal, mm. just fed mm. her impression of him as being prideful. It's like how could you just presume mm. this upon me when it's, it's not? This is not fully baked yet. Oh, yes. his you proposal know. was. Yeah, just, I know. Oh, it was. It was, it was <laughs> harrowing. But but, but, but he's socially awkward. You but know I, I mean? feel like Elizabeth. I feel like you see. I think Darcy's growth is, I mean, it's obviously happening, and you see it happening. But I think for Elizabeth, I think it's just like a total turn. Like she Mm. has some kind of revelation after she has time to digest his letter, a revelation Mm. about herself and her own weakness in judging somebody so wrongly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, her growth, honestly, is just is more of a black and white. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, yeah, this is it, who it, I've it been. To me, it's a growth and understanding. But she she seems to be to me to be fully human in a way that Darcy doesn't seem to be at the beginning of the book. There's there's growth and understanding, but I don't know that there's any growth in character. And I think I think Darcy experiences uh, a growth I, in character. I in just this, have in to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's got great growth in character, and I think that she will be hesitant to judge people again like she judged him. Yeah, because I think she it's was that, so wrong. Yeah, that development of of self doubt, which is a kind of humility. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That humility, I, that's good, and that really characterizes her for the second half of the novel. She's so confident in the first half, and in the second half, it's not like there's a switch where she's, you know, what went from seeing Darcy as a bad guy to seeing him as a good guy. It's that. I just don't, I don't know if I, whether I can trust myself at all anymore. That mm-hmm. she's just sort of newly open to the world around her in the second half of the novel. But I, I would agree. I mean, I, like when you say she, she's fully human, I think that's true. And I think one of the things that's charming about her from the beginning is she is self-effacing. Right. <laughs> it, it is not hard for her to um, acknowledge that she's wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, think it's a lot harder yeah. for him. Right. Um, to acknowledge that you he's have, wrong. You have fully mature people in here. You have fully immature people in mm-hmm. here. And then you have you have people who are partially mature who become fully mature. I think Darcy's an exa- yeah. example of that. You know, her, her younger sisters and her mother. There's, there's they're, no not, hope. they're not going <laughs> to get there, are they? <laughs> so let me end on this question for all of you. Someone has not read Pride and Prejudice yet. Why should they? And maybe a tip about the best way to, to approach this book so that they get the most out of it. Lita, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, I think everything that's been said, but uh, I guess another thing that I, I love how Austin's novels change as you reread them. Mm-hmm. So I guess mm-hmm. my, my, my advice would be get through that first reading fast okay. so that you can read it again. Mm-hmm. Because I think um, what, I, what I love about Austin is how much happens in the gaps her, her novels are built out of a lot of empty space, mm. which is why they invite so much imaginative participation. Sure. Um, it, it really does feel like you as a reader are kind of co-creating with. Mm. Um, I mean, I think in particular of Darcy's Darcy's change, 
it's off screen mm-hmm. and it's profound. But we kind of, we see him sort of in the wake of the disastrous first proposal. And then we see him again several months later. He's a different guy. What has happened in there? You've got to fill that in. And I think that's why um, the novels change so much on repeated readings mm-hmm. as you're becoming more aware of those gaps, filling them in more thoughtfully. And the thing is just getting kind of richer and heavier sure. every time. So, yeah, I would say read Don't it fast. Read it, reread it. Read it, read it again, <laughs> read it again, read it again. Like I'm yeah. going to reread Mansfield Park. Yeah. My tip would for someone reading it would be try to uh, write down in some way the place names. Because mm-hmm. if you can keep track of where things are happening, it helps make sense of the plot. This is just a very beginner's tip. So do you like it? Do I you do. like the novel? I do. After yeah. ta- teaching it for two Absolutely, I Years. do. It's not my favorite, but I like it. It is not your favorite. You're not, not your favorite Jane Austen or not your favorite piece of fiction. Yeah, piece of fiction. Mm. Uh, I think I would lean Bronte sisters yes. in terms of this you know, sure. era and female sure. authors. Um, but I do really appreciate it. And the reason I would recommend, and I'll speak to the male audience here. The reason I would recommend <laughs> this, um, for some reason in my kind of circle of like theologically interested friends, Pride and Prejudice tends to be a book they pick up when they have that moment of realizing that literature could be valuable for their life. Mm. And I think the reason for that is because Austin is so clearly a literary genius, but is saying something profound about the kinds of moral virtues that we're all trying to pursue. And she does it through dramatic form that's really familiar, you know, the romantic mm. comedy kind of setup. And so I think it's an easy book to engage with, with that higher goal of trying to uncover the way that literature exposes the value and the lived experience of virtue and vice that other nonfiction can't do. And mm-hmm. so it's a good reason to pick up Pride and Prejudice. What's your recommendation for someone picking, picking this up? Well, I just, I just think, uh, like I would say about any great literature is, is, is this is a book that will make you more human. Mm. And then, Sort of stepping back, I I I do think that um, that it is very useful to 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 read a book like this and realize, you know, who was Jane Austen? Did she have some kind of very fabulous high level education mm. that would that allowed her to do this? Did Charlotte Bronte? Did no? These were this is a woman just living out in the English countryside. And she produces a masterpiece, and this was this was done in a number of other instances in England. What what does it say about our civilization and the civilization of England at that time that 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 can happen? And it happens numerous times, and that that just amazes me. Mm. That that and, and and I'm not sure we have that kind of civilization mm. anymore mm. that can do that. You know, now everyone has to have a PhD, and everyone, you know, this is just somebody. You know, normal. It's <laughs> novel. Austin's reverence for books throughout Pride and Prejudice probably illustrates some of the way that she herself was capable of writing a book like this. She was probably mm-hmm. extremely well read. Yes. Tanya? I think, well, I agree with everything that everybody said about this book, but I think what I'd like to add is that it's accessible. Mm-hmm. So if you want to further your education and read, a book that is just really good and will be good for you. Pride and Prejudice is accessible. Jane Austen is accessible to anybody. And so she would be a great place to start if you really want, you know, to to 
work on your intellectual life. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, we're proponents of that all the time. Like, how do you do it? Um, get up and read Pride and Prejudice for 20 minutes every morning. And you will uh, you will feel good about having done this. And then it's a great place to start. She's a great place to start. Yeah. Dr. Lita Sundet, you've been a fabulous guest. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. All right. We'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.